0: Continuing today with our eight essential elements of the Biblical Christian Gospel series, I just want to remind us that all of those words were chosen very carefully, and every one of those words is important. Anything less than these eight would not be the Biblical Christian Gospel. Uh, These are the most foundational, elemental concepts, so forth, and it's important to remember that Gospel means good news, and uh, the main uh, kind of attack on Christianity philosophically in both the world system and in the so-called Bible-believing church in, starting in the 19th century has been to deny the elements of the bad news that would lead us to seeing our need for the good news. And that, that has been totally missed by, by evangelical Christians. So we continue to say kind of a good news message that the world says, why would I need to listen to that? And uh, if you are not making the case for the bad news, you're not really loving people. You really got to help them see the true news, which is not so good about man's status before God, apart from Christ. And uh, man has to have their eyes opened up to the reality of their situation, uh, to have any hope of seeing the truth. So uh, we are on, uh, if you look at the eight titles in Roman numeral one, we are, uh, we have already covered uh, about three weeks of introduction, then we were, uh, by the grace of God, able to get through the essential attributes of God in one week. Uh, which never happens around here, <laughs> at least not when I'm speaking. Maybe someone else spoke that message. I don't know. Uh, so, uh, however, that does not necessarily mean anything about its importance. Uh, one of the most important characteristics of our of our Christianity today is it is incredibly man centered, and Christians think in terms of being entertained. Uh, consumers of religious services, and what is in it for me. And that is contrary to the whole points of Christianity, and therefore what we have today is we have in the Bible-believing church world, we have millions and millions and millions and millions of people that have prayed a sinner's prayer, that have have not met Christ in whatsoever, nor are they standing in truth or reality, nor are they... Quote the word that they use is saved, nor are they rescued, redeemed, ransomed. Uh, they're they're actually pretty much nowhere with God. And as you'll see by the end of this series, the Bible says that the church is supposed to be the pillar and support of the truth. And actually, because of the ideas that have emerged since the Civil War, it's gone so far as that that you have to honestly say. The church has become the the pillar and the support of deception. The church is telling millions of people everything's okay when in fact it's not true. And we we have a—I actually got to spend some time with my good friend Victor Tenbrink, uh, you know, because he came to the viewing of for my father. And uh, his father, uh, once when he was a visiting speaker in Dayton at the first church I started in Dayton— His father, uh, who was a missionary to India all his life, and an Episcopalian priest, born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit, uh, wonderful man. His father said to me that uh, you're supposed to go to church to seek God, but the truth of the matter is we've reached a state of affairs where most people are going to church to avoid God. Now, when he first said that, it was kind of one of those, what? (laughs) I didn't know what he was talking about. I have thought on that now for over 30 years, and it just totally is true. We, uh, We have a conscience. We have an intuitive knowledge. There is a God. There are lots and lots and lots of people in this world who cannot shake the fact that they know God exists and they know that God, they ought to do this or that. They ought to walk with God and so forth. And they are trying to do whatever's the minimum appeasement, uh, the minimum uh, don't let God bother my life too much. They're, they're adamant about living their own way, doing their own thing, being their own Lord, and in actuality have, having nothing to do with God while, uh, while being religious. And uh, going to church is often a big part of that. If I can go to church and if I can tell myself I'm living a moral life, uh, I don't have to come to understand the deep things of the gospel and really radically be converted to Christ. And that's where most people you meet today who are churchgoers are really at. And so uh, biblical is a key word in this title, um, now, we've switched uh, to talking about man. The first week, part A, we talked about how man is a tripartite being. We talked about what it meant that man has a spirit, a soul, and a body. Last week, we covered Roman numeral two on this, on this outline. Setting the table, we talked about worldviews and the three questions that are asked in worldviews, and the second question about man is what is the intrinsic nature of man? Are we born are all men? Do all men share some commonality in our nature? And uh, so we we talked about uh, three questions that all men uh, that we ask of the nature of men in any philo- philosophy or worldview. All philosophies and worldviews, all views of economic policy, etc., imply religious assumptions assumptions about what, who, or what is ultimately real. What is the nature of man, and how should man treat his fellow man? Views of history, economics, and so forth always grow out of those assumptions. Everyone is religious. God is, made us in his image, as we're going to start with today, and therefore everyone is a worshiper, whether they worship a cooler car, a better paycheck, a nicer house, more commercialism, uh, whether they worship uh, polytheism and various kinds of idol worship, or whatever, whether they worship uh, sports and fame and and winning the NBA championship or what have you, everyone is ultimately an idolater. You cannot avoid it, and there and therefore everyone has answers in their heart to who or what is ultimately real, and what is the nature of man. Now, so I encourage you, if you didn't hear some of these messages, to go back and listen to them. They're available on our website, gcfdayton.org, and and on podcasts, and we do the podcast in reverse chronology, so the ones at the top are the most recent, going back for several, you know, a few years, and uh, we have uh, one podcast for the uh, Sunday uh, a.m. 9.30 messages, which are for the most part done by me. Occasionally you have John or Ray Nethery or somebody speak at 9.30. Uh, and then at 10.30, uh, John's expository approach to teaching, where he's helped us learn the Christian calendar and how it relates to the gospel, very gospel-centered messages over and over and over again, um, you know, are around the 10.30. So if you haven't heard the rest of this series, I'd encourage you to listen to it. So here we go. Today we're on Roman numeral three. We're gonna talk from a biblical point of view view about three essential attributes of mankind. What we're saying is that all of life, every person you meet has these characteristics. This is the truth, this is reality. People often wonder why when I first became a Christian without anybody telling me I should read my Bible, I read my Bible 8, 10, 12 hours a day and went to a different Christian meeting every night. And I, it, I didn't have to read my Bible. It was like, wow, wow, wow. It was because I was, I was coming out of unreality into reality. And my eyes were being opened to what, everyone, what really makes everyone around you tick. If you do not know the Lord, and if you do not understand the Scriptures, and if you don't know these things, you're actually wandering around in the darkness like a blind man, bumping into doors and walls. Not you're 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 like a zombie. Your your body is moving, but your spirit is dead, and you're actually disconnected from reality. That's actually what it means to become a Christian: is to come into reality. The reason people can't kick their addictions over easy things to kick, generally, the reason they can't control their emotions, the reason they treat the people and their families terribly, the reason they uh, are slaves to gluttony or whatever addiction you want to pick. Uh, mo- almost everyone in our culture today is addicted to one, two, or three, or four things. The reason is, is because they're not connected to reality. And therefore, there's actually no grace to change. When you come to know the Lord, Jesus said, whoever commits sin is the slave of sin. And if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And he said, whoever abides in my word is truly my disciple. So if you don't abide in his word, you're a false disciple. And if you're truly a disciple, if you abide in His Word, you live there, dwell in it. Menos means remain, dwell in, live in. If if that's your address, that you're not, not just reading it, but it's your, re, your it's the way you think, it's the way it's what shapes your character. When you when you have the reality of the living Christ opening up the reality of the written Word as a constant part of your life. Then you'll become truly his disciple, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you're still a slave to passivity, if you're still a slave to what people think about you, if you're still a slave to procrastination, if you're still a slave to various kinds of worries, fears, doubts, and so forth, the good news is Jesus came to set you free from that and that's not in harmony with how you were created before the fall of man and it's not God's will to leave you there he loves you where you're at whatever the problems may be and this is good news for our society because no one could have imagined even as early as 2030 years ago that the average person that you meet today would be as troubled as everyone is cuz as the you know as the culture of divorce and Welfare and entitlement and passivity, all these things have continued, as our culture has gone, become ever increasingly godless. The number of problem sets people are walking in the door with has, has skyrocketed so high, I would not have been able to imagine that, say, 30 or 40 years ago. But the good news is it doesn't matter what the problem sets are. What matters is if you get one, Jesus said you don't need more faith to the disciples when they said increase our faith. He said, if you have one grain of mustard seed, you get one real dose of the real Jesus going on. And within a few months, few weeks, uh, a year or two, the changes that will go on. You know, the first four months I was a Christian, I got demons cast out of me four times. I went from being totally addicted to smoking, drugs, drinking, uh, being afraid of what everyone thought of me, trying to be cool all the time, which just means you're really bound up with what people think of you. Uh, God set me free from all of that. In the first few months, I was a Christian. So let's look at this, and let's look at every person you meet has these same problem sets. In the same attributes, and it's important that you see that if you're going to help anybody. This is real biblical psychology. You won't learn this at Wright State University. Number one, everyone you meet is created in God's image. Let's read a couple verses in this. Uh, by the way, the Latin phrase that you would study in a theology class, those of you who are taking our, our third group that's going through our systematic theology class, which will give us over 20 people in our church that have finished that class uh, in the three times we've run it, uh, you would you learn the term amago day, which is the Latin word for the image of God. Let's read a couple of scripture verses first, and then we'll talk about the, the image of God a little bit. Genesis 1:26 through 28a says this then God said, let us. One of the first hints of the Trinity in the whole of Scripture is God is talking to himself. I don't know about you, but when I talk to myself, like, you know, David said, bless the Lord, all my soul. I don't say, let us make, you know, right? Uh, Now, if you, people who do might have some other kinds of problems, but God himself is God the Father, God the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, eternally exists in the three persons in one being. So talking within himself in the eternal covenant of the Godhead, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creep that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. In male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, I bl- said, etc." So God created man to rule over all the creeps that he created. Uh, so the, the, and there's lots of people creeping around out there nowadays. So uh, uh, that was uh, your purpose. Uh, the Nicene Creed, which we recite every uh, week, says, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, that means God created two realms: a visible realm and an invisible realm. And guess what? The invisible realm, in a sense, uh, now this is just—I don't want to go take this far. It's in you know, a in in a sense, the visible realm, the invisible realm is actually more real than the visible. We we live in a time after the Enlightenment. When everyone has been brainwashed into being unbelieving, natural-minded, and skeptical about the spiritual realm. And so we, you know, we have no trouble believing that if we kick this oak bench too hard, we'll hurt our foot. But we don't realize that you can't break spiritual laws, they'll break you. So um, the truth of the matter is, is the invisible realm... Uh, includes God. God is a spirit. Those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. The invisible realm existed before the material realm, and the invisible realm will will always be there, although the physical realm will be changed and recreated progressively till it's no longer subject to the laws of sin and death and the things that were introduced at the fall of man. So that's important. The Apostles' Creed, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. So, let's talk about God, every man being made in the image of God. Okay? Uh, This is important for a couple of reasons. Man is the crown of God's creation. Every human being you meet has innate value. Now I believe if you study all of Genesis and you understand what it's called the dominion mandate sometimes or the cultural mandate, that part of that is that we are vice regents of God in this earth and and stewarding the whole creation is part of God's uh, plan for man. So being environmentally responsible is a huge uh, mandate that Christians should have. Um, However, uh, and, we, and we should also be for the preservation of species. However, saving the uh, malaria-carrying mosquitoes of Africa will never compare to the importance of saving an individual human being. And from the moment of conception, every person is made in the image of God from that moment on. And just because modern man has developed the technology to go into the sanctuary of the mother's womb and kill the babies doesn't mean that they should be killed. And what we need to understand is that just as the blood of Cain called out for vengeance to God from the ground, and just as the blood of all the violence in the days of Noah called to God, the blood of the millions that we are slain in this country and and now worldwide, one of the things that's been a big part of the Obama administration has been fu- uh, funding uh, the growth of worldwide abortion and promoting the growth of worldwide abortion because it's always connected to a uh, you know to a whole movement uh, that's called eugenics and, and um, abortion is always connected to trying to keep the, the dark people from multiplying. That's why all the Planned Parenthood clinics. Are in the in the black and Hispanic neighborhoods. That's why all the money that Obama is is giving to our uh, to the entire world to stop population growth is being directed toward Africa, and uh, because it's part of the abortion mandate to stop black people from multiplying. It's an it's a it's a anti-racial. It's it's interesting that Obama, who's supposedly half black has been the most anti-black president in the history of the United States because of his worldview, because he's innately religious, and he believes the state should plan the economy, and he believes in the theories of Thomas Malthus, who wrote a book called Principia Mathematica*, that the world is getting overpopulated and therefore, we must endorse ways of keeping the population down, and we should. Uh, and they believe that they should especially do it among those who they consider racially inferior. It's all part of a worldview or a religion called evolution. We as Christians are not evolutionists. We believe that everyone is descended from Adam and Eve. We believe that everyone is of equal value. We believe that everyone is of such value that, they're will, willing, that you should be willing to spend your life, your money, your time, and everything else to save every life, black, white, Hispanic, uh, Caucasian, Mongoloid, whatever uh, particular uh, person they are, they are made in the image of God. And part of what Christians should be doing is rescuing lives. I follow an organization online, uh, and, I get, and I get daily updates from them and emails and things that, be, that basically rescues women out of sexual slavery and human trafficking worldwide all the time. And they're a Christian organization. What should Christians be doing? What? amassing more worldly possessions what i mean what really what should we be doing every life has value i couldn't if i spoke the next 20 weeks i couldn't do justice to this concept that's why uh mother Teresa, a christian woman started an organization because in uh because religions have economic consequences india has been kept poor for 4500 years by the religion of hinduism and its terrible idea of karma which is not at all similar i see christians post stuff about karma all the time on facebook and i'm like don't you don't know the difference between the ideas of karma and sin they're not related Because man is made in God's image, they have a few overlapping points, but they're exactly not the same point. That's the point. And and therefore, uh, there is no untouchable class, and there's no way we should be living a a whole society as if the lower two or three classes deserve to have been born poor and leave them there. And the last thing we should be doing is government programs to rescue them, which make people more poor. And expand and create the problems. That's why if you want to read a very good black thinker in America today, a genius of a guy that's so far beyond me in education, I could never hope to uh, study like he does, but uh, his name is Jason Riley. Some of us know a Jason Riley, no no relation, but... uh, and uh, he actually wrote a book that uh, Davion's reading right now called Please Stop Helping Us. <laughs> do you know before the welfare state of the 1960s started, do you know the African-American family had less divorce rate than the, than the white family and was, was actually more intact? It's destroyed the African-American people as it's intended to do so. That's the point of it. I wish I could have more time to talk about the value of man. That's the reason we tutor. That's the reason we teach. That's the reason we mentor. That's the reason I, uh, you know, disciple young men and raise them up so that they could just rescue one or two young lives. You know what? If you just work at becoming a better Christian, more knowledgeable, better character, less compromised with your the world, the flesh, and the devil, more set free by Jesus and so forth, and you rescue one biological or spiritual child, your life will go up in the in the worth wildness of it being lived by a hundredfold. That's why you, the problem is you cannot help people if you don't become the change that the world needs. Well, let's go to, flip over and go to the back side. I was hoping to finish this today we'll see. Uh, we might just get through point A and B and have to do uh point C on this next week. That would make a whole good message in itself. So maybe we'll go there. Secondly, but you, I'm back I'm to first. I just can't get away from this. You, you know what? You've got to see that pe- when you see people in Kroger's, sometimes I have to fight off crying when I'm in a shopping mall or in Kroger's because I see the spiritual oppression, the demons, the lack of purpose, the huge character flaws the uh, women t- treating their kids abusively right in the marketplace. Kids growing up with no fathers. Sometimes I have to compose myself and stop, cr- make myself not cry. Believe me, it's a mess out there. And everybody was created in God's image. And the number one issue is going to be how far are you willing to go with Christ? Because the further you go, the more you're going to be the solution. The seed doesn't fall far from the tree. You want to look know why your kids have the problems they do? Just look in the mirror. And believe me, um, take it from a guy who started making some really more profound changes. After I had t- uh, three kids and when my fourth kid was on the way, And those changes took about 20 years, and some of the fruit, some of the changes I needed to make, my kids were pretty close to adults by the time, uh, in some cases were adults, by the time God had set me free of different control issues and helped me become more gracious. And, you, you know, we always are growing in Christ. And just the things God has put in me in the last 10 years have had tremendous input on my impact for the positive on my adult kids. So, never stop embracing the crosses God's put in your life. Never stop pursuing deliverance, inner healing. Uh, Study, 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 study. Know the Word of God cover to cover. There are three major Christian views of psychology that that have developed in the church over the centuries. Two of them are still quite prevalent today. Know all three. At least read one or two introductory books on each of them, so that you know how to counsel people. Memorize hundreds of scriptures, because ultimately, when you come to talk to me, you'll you know people are always like well, you know you we had breakfast and we and I quoted you fifty scriptures. Why? because I don't give a damn about my opinion. If you spend an hour for me, with me, I want to have made sure that I've sacrificed and laid down my life day after day, year after year after year to give you the opinion of God. That's why some people want to talk to, to, to leaders and some people don't want to. People who don't want to stay in one church and get discipled and and uh, so forth, it's because they fear the change that they need to make. And the last thing they're going to do is stay put in one place where they're going to hear the truth. All right, part B. I got to move on. But I'm only going to try to do Part B today. So there will be an Element 2, Part D next week, which will be Roman numeral C on this outline. Part B is created for eternal purpose, ultimate and noble. Now, if you remember, those of you who've been following our Kingdom of God series, um, the third unit in it that we are still in, I believe, no, we're on the fourth unit, the third unit, was major themes of the Bible, one of the major themes that we discovered that we talked about we talked about covenant, the eight elements of all covenants remember and so forth that various major themes dominion, one of them was called eternal decree, and that is that God declares the the end from the beginning God the Father, God the son hebrews thirteen twenty mentions the blood of the eternal covenant. Before there was any heavens or earth, before there was material dimension of the universe, God exists outside and above time. He is, he was, he always will be. And he had a covenant within himself that some theologians call the covenant of redemption, that the son would come and die for man and so forth. From all eternity, God had it all planned. I'm hoping that you'll come to grips with the sovereignty of God in the Bible so much that when you fall down the steps at the bottom, you'll say, "Thank you, Jesus! <laughs> Praise God that that one's over with." Let's get, let's move on to the next thing. <laughs> and, uh. uh and you'll begin to thank God so that you can see what was God's good purpose in this. Maybe he wanted you to learn to turn the lights on at night before you go up and down the steps. Or not wear socks on the steps or whatever. Uh, or not be drunk before you go up and down the steps. Something. When you got a speeding ticket, I'm hoping I can convince you that God sent Officer Diaz <laughs> to you. That was my uh, the name of uh, Stephen's friend who gave me a ticket in Beaver Creek. <laughs> Let me say I, I didn't uh, relate to that one very spiritually. But uh, <laughs> um, but God is even in charge of Officer Diaz. God, you are created for an ultimate purpose. Let's read the scriptures first, then I'll preach it for the rest of my remaining time. Genesis 128, God blessed them. Uh, we, this is where we left off in, on the first point, by the way. God blessed them, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. Well, we're doing better in that realm, <laughs> uh, uh, especially in the natural. And uh, fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, we have created a a whole culture of such wimpy men that 69% of churchgoers are women. Only 31% of churchgoers are are men because we've created a a kind of, we've redefined Jesus as this effeminate guy who's after nothing except to get you to pray the sinner's prayer and then pay your money to the church week after week until you go to heaven. Jesus turned the money changers' tables over because he had a purpose. He wasn't in the flesh nor having a bad day. The Spirit of God wanted him to do that because they had turned the court of the Gentiles that was supposed to be the place where the Gentiles uh, had mediated the presence of God to them. They had turned it into a den of thieves and they cared nothing about the Gentiles. Let me just tell you, I believe God hates our churches today. Put that one on this. I'll tell you why. Because we have separate black and separate white churches. And even people who come to Christ in this country, we have separate Kenyan churches, separate Korean churches, separate Japanese churches, separate Chinese churches, and so forth. And the early church never did that. If you don't understand that Ephesians 2, 1 through 11, which the evangelicals preach over and over and over and over and over again, is, flows right into Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, that the meaning of the gospel is that he broke down the dividing units between all mankind, and we are all of one family. There are two families in the earth. There are the lost blind ones that we're here to rescue, that are born of Adam and Eve and filled with sin, and there are those that are born again in Christ. And if those people can't worship together, and if they can't disciple one another, and if they can't experience true community, and if what makes you experience community is that they're of the same color and the same socioeconomic class and the same education, then we got nothing! Sorry, I'm a little stirred up today. Our Christianity is worthless. The world is waiting to see an authentic expression of the body of Christ and the ancient longing of the creation is that the, the world has been subject to futility and the world is dying and there are dead men walking around like zombies everywhere you go with no purpose. And they think they're try, every day they're trying to cope and find a purpose like more money or more fame or winning some stupid little NBA title or some nasty, worldly, worthless stuff like that. When God calls you, he calls you to the global cosmic mission. He calls you, calls you to the war of heaven against hell. He calls you to the war of good against evil. And he's calling you to be something much better than a Jedi warrior. The reason, that, the reason all these superhero movies are popular today is because the world is offering nothing to live for. And you are wired that there's something inside you that says, I'm a human being, blankety blank. Quoting from Howard Beale on the network, my life has value. You're inside you. That's why there's a thing called boredom. Boredom is God's love gift to you. If you're bored, God is saying, I love you so much that I want to give you my eternal purpose. And until you are consumed with eternal purpose, like dry uh, stublings are, are consumed by a fire, until you're consumed like the burning bush, filled with fire, yet it doesn't burn. With the fire of God... You will get bored regularly and often because he loves you. And you're giving your life to stuff that's not worth anything. If you start discovering the plan of God for your life, it'll call you to your highest being you ever could have imagined. In effect, if God could show you how you're going to look a few years down from the road, if you embrace all that he wants to give you, you wouldn't even be able to believe it. You wouldn't have any perspective to understand it. He wants to make you look exactly like the Jesus of the Gospels. Major religious groups, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodotians, they tried to trip him up in three and a half years. They couldn't find him, couldn't trick him into saying one wrong thing. Wow. And people go, like, I read the Gospels one time. I don't know if I want to read it. <laughs> Wow, study Jesus, be Jesus, be like Jesus. Psalm 8, four to six, what is man Yet you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Now you should read the whole Psalm but, you know, like you, when you're out in the woods at night and you can see the stars out, like when you're away out in the country and you can see millions of stars and so forth and everything, and yet God cares about your intimate thoughts. You, Not one hair of your head falls off without him uh, n- caring about it. I wish he'd put some of mine back. But uh, he, but that's not according to his plan. <laughs> so, uh, And i got to trust him that his plan is better than my plan. So... Uh this this is so important. P- what salvation is, is to being restored to the becoming in harmony with everything you were intended to be. God wants you to be like every man is supposed to be a lion and a lamb. You saw a little bit of my lion's side today. Many of you know my lamb side. <laughs> Why? You're supposed to be like Jesus. You are supposed to be the answer. You're supposed to be like, oh, well, if someone says, well, gee, I don't know. I, haven't, I don't know that much about Christianity. Just hang out with us and you'll know Jesus. Don't be a pointer. Well, I don't know. I can't get, don't get, don't put your eyes on man. Paul said, be an imitator of me as I am of Christ. And he promised, if you do these things, the God of peace will dwell with you. Can you make that promise to the people in your life? Can you tell the people at work, if you uh, you do the things that my life does, you will actually have the Spirit of God powerfully dwell with you. He'll live at your house. People will come into your house and they'll say, well, you got a wall missing, and the whole place is dusty, and everything's getting old and crummy. And the deck needs has needed stain for six years, but there's something strange about how much of the spirit of God is in here. Doesn't mean you shouldn't stain the deck. I hope you will, no. especially mine. But uh, <laughs> but uh, you you the the idea of praying a sinner's prayer and not having to change your life much, you were created with a destiny. And only you, in a group of people, as a community, living like an army, can fulfill the destiny. And the destiny is to liberate this planet. And because of the state of the church today, you've got to get gripped with the reality. Most people don't see the depth of what we're talking about today and the depth of what God is doing in Grace Christian Fellowship. Let me tell you, there is nobody else coming. Logan, you are what's coming. And thousands are waiting for us to become more Christ-like. To have a more perfectly godly community, to have a community that it doesn't matter if you 're white, black, if you came into the Lord, rich, poor, young, old, that we all have the same standards in christ that that even the most uneducated of among us become very educated in the things of God, that even the the people who grew up with no fathers have spiritual fathers and get all their fatherhood issues settled and healed. That that we are a way of life that the world needs to see. Get on with it. Because every time you stray from you fall into some sin and all the stuff that sometimes I hear and I just want to cry and it breaks my heart, all the time, every time you, you know, can't make up your mind whose side you're on. Hundreds are hurt by that. This concept that that has become an idolatrous concept in our culture of, what do they call it, the sins that, that don't hurt anybody else? Wow, what a stupid concept. Believe me, the world is so blind. There are no sins that don't hurt anyone else. Every sin we commit hurts hundreds because the world is waiting for a demonstration of of the lifestyle of the sons and daughters of God living in Christian family. Purpose, purpose, purpose. When you come to know the Lord, you won't just be converted, you'll be called. Calling is part of conversion. Conversion. Look at the disciples, look at Paul. There's no one in the Bible who came to know Jesus that wasn't called to be part of his global mission, of his cosmic plan. God wants you to be a destiny bender. And until your life is consumed with changing this purpose, for to change, change chasing that purpose, you're just using air on this planet. God wants to give you a sense of destiny that'll cause you to be disciplined, study, say no to sin, say no to laziness. Uh, often, not watch that television show so you can study more. What do make all kinds of sacrifices so that you can become more Christ-like? Because you are the only answer He's sending. Amen.